Welcome to the CBIA BizCast powered by Google. On this podcast, we dive into stories about Connecticut businesses. Downs Construction actually came to my school. And business leaders. I think it's always also really important to be able to see a path forward. We're shaping the future of Connecticut's economy. Thanks for joining us. I'm CBIA President and CEO Chris Deepintima, filling in for Amanda Marlowe, who by the time this episode airs, We'll hopefully have had her first child. I'm joined today by CEO of Fussin' and Neil, Kevin Grigg. Hey, Chris. Nice to see you, Kevin. You too. And Kevin was just recently uh, elected by the CBI Board of Directors as the CBI Chair. Uh, congratulations and condolences. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're very excited. I'm looking forward to it. Very excited to have you on. So, um, you know, as CBI enters its 209th year, there's a lot going on at CBIA in Connecticut that will dive into, but I think it's important that folks get to know a little bit about you, a little bit about Fussett O'Neill. So tell us how you came to Connecticut and a little bit about your background. Well, uh, I guess I actually came to Connecticut through some what initially were some unfortunate circumstances. My wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer Mm. and uh, the initial diagnosis wasn't real encouraging. So I had to be Mr. Mom for a year, stay home, take care of the kids and do my best to nurse her back to health. Um, And during the course of that period of time, uh, I was approached by a recruiter who was based in Chicago, who I'd used in past lives to help attract talent to my organizations. And just coincidentally, Fussin O'Neill had reached out to this same person and was engaged in a uh, nationwide search for a chief operating officer. Mm. So this recruiter called me, said, I have the perfect, I remember her words, she said, I have the perfect gig for you. And I said, Donna, what's this gig? And she said, well, it's this company called Fuss O'Neill, and she spent a lot of time telling me about it. She said, you'd have to move to Hartford, Connecticut. At first, I wasn't real thrilled about the idea of moving my whole family, you know, a thousand miles away. But given my wife's health and the fact that she was at this point recovering fairly well, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, maybe this would be a good opportunity to kind of turn the page on the whole health crisis. And uh, at that point, my wife had only had one driver's license, and that was in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so it was part adventure, part turn the page, and part very curious about living in one of the only parts of the country I've never lived in. So, <laughs> so that's my, uh, my response. And that's what brought you here, yeah. yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. interesting turn of events. And so as you mentioned, you had one of the only parts of the country you hadn't lived in. Right. What were your experiences like in, in other parts of the country compared to Connecticut, especially when you first got here? Personally or professionally? Yeah, or personally. Personally. You know, in many ways, Connecticut reminds me of the Pacific Northwest. Close to the water, beautiful scenery and topography, good educational institutions, more of a um, quality of life sort of focus uh, in terms of people's worldview. And so when I first came here, it actually felt fairly familiar because I'd spent 13, 14 years in the Pacific Northwest, Portland and Seattle. Mm Um, But as I have been here longer, I think I've gotten a greater appreciation for uh, the individual sense of sort of independence that exists here, probably going all the way back to the Tea Party, right? Sure, yeah. And it shows up in, you know, Connecticut having so many municipalities and no uh, county government and, you know, people wanting to, to do things sort of on their own which is both a wonderful thing and a complicated thing when you're you know, trying to run a business and, and uh, 
complicated, I'm sure, for state government as well. But in general, um, I found the people here to be uh, similar to folks I grew up with, um, very open, honest, very polite, far more polite than I am. I've had to adjust to that. <laughs> I think you're very polite. Uh, but it's been a it's been a good experience for my for my wife and my children, um, who all have made a lot of friends since arriving here. And uh, from a work standpoint, I think it will be uh, a fitting capstone on the top of a long and and uh, enjoyable career. Yeah, very successful one too. It's interesting that you highlight the independence of uh, you know the nutmeggers, the Connecticut. I Resident. thought I was throwing you a softball. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, it was a, it's a, yeah, a nice softball because, um, you know, we're known as a very entrepreneurial state, right? There's Absolutely. A, and over the last couple of years coming out of the pandemic, one of the uh, real highlights from a business economic metric has been about a thousand business starts every month in Connecticut for more than a two year period of yeah. time. So real, real positivity there. And you feel that entrepreneurial spirit. As you go around the state, certainly on the board of directors and the mm -hmm. members we engage in, and how you differentiate that from the North Pacific Northwest, because you don't see as much business startups in the Northwest. You see more of those mature companies, blue yeah, chip companies, yeah. but but companies that were startups twenty years ago. Yeah, not very long ago, yeah, right? Yeah, they don't yeah. go back to <clears throat> yeah. eighteen fifteen right. like CBIA does, yeah, or yeah. or even beyond that. How about professionally from the business community? Did you see a big difference? from the Pacific Northwest or other places that you've worked when relative to uh, Fuston O'Neill here in Connecticut? When I first came here, uh, I was surprised by what I felt was the level of, maybe animosity is too strong of a word, but the fact that the public and private sectors really didn't seem to support one another to the extent that I had seen happen, particularly in Chicago, but other places as well. Um, and one of the things that I'm very encouraged by, and this was very much a part of your remarks last week during the uh, annual meeting, is that that attitude seems to be changing on both sides. Um, I met with both the outgoing and incoming uh, commissioners of DECD just yesterday. Uh, they were very positive on teaming with CBIA as an organization, but also businesses throughout the state. Uh, I know that you're a big proponent of that. Obviously, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, so while when I initially came here, I was concerned about that, um, things seem to be moving in the right direction. And I think your leadership and CBIA's leadership in general has been a significant part of that. I appreciate that. The, the government's very open to it as well, the yeah, governor absolutely. specifically. Yeah. And I, I often comment about my background in business had, was all about collaboration. I came from being a trial attorney in manufacturing. I knew nothing about manufacturing, nothing about leading a business, but fortunately I had so many folks who are willing to collaborate with me to educate me, teach me, guide me, share best practices, open up their doors. And the Connecticut business community I've always found is very welcoming and opening that way. And we needed uh, government to be the same way and then the two to be able to talk to each other. And yeah, yeah. to your point, I think we're we're finally there in, in a really positive way. And as I said in my remarks, I don't think I, the public-private collaboration hasn't been stronger in my mind. And, mm -hmm. and it, I don't think it's any coincidence that the state's fiscal health either has been I think directly related. Right. Yeah, it's and the nice. fiscal health of our of our families and our businesses, I think, is also directly related to the extent to which the public and private sectors are willing to work together. Because if we work together, we can provide whatever it is, product services for, you know, the citizens of the state in a much more effective manner. And at, at Fuston O'Neill, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what you guys do there. You partnered with government often when you're doing infrastructure transportation uh, projects. But just talk a little bit about what Fuston O'Neill does. And how, how did, Kevin, how did you become, go from CEO to CEO? 
Uh, it was a dark day in the history of Fuss O'Neill. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, we, we formed a committee. Uh, candidates applied. I was asked to take the position. That's kind of the story behind going from chief operating officer to CEO. Um, we employ, for the most part, um, technically trained professionals, uh, engineers, landscape architects who also oftentimes do the planning work on a lot of our projects, um, scientists, usually natural sciences. Uh, and a lot of it is focused on both uh, cleaning things up, uh, but also on helping to plan, design, and build infrastructure, oftentimes on properties, brownfields, for example, that have needed to be cleaned up in order for them to be um, healthy places for people to work. And in some cases, We've done the very same thing with communities throughout the state. We've been in business for almost, we'll be celebrating our 100th anniversary in January. We've worked for virtually every um, municipality throughout the state over the years. And much of the work we've done there has been really helping to improve the quality of uh, citizens' lives in these various communities and obviously throughout the state. Um, so we're basically engineers uh, and scientists and are focused primarily on the environment and, and uh, both public and private infrastructure. We we have an arm of our company that's called Manufacturing Solutions that works exclusively with the manufacturing sector. We have another small piece of our business that works uh, with the construction industry. So we're atypical in, in the sense of having those two parts of our organization as opposed to just being engineers and scientists. But in general, uh, it's both private and public uh, publicly focused to work in the environmental and infrastructure fields. Yeah, I mentioned to this to you when I, I first met you after I came on board in uh, 2020. Um, we didn't know each other back then, but uh, my manufacturing company, I was using Fustinonial services for equipment, total productive uh, management, uptime, mm -hmm. efficiencies, all the things that Connecticut companies embrace in order to maximize productivity and be and one of the most productive workforces in the yeah. in the world, and and I, you've heard me mention this. That's that whole one degree of separation in Connecticut, right? Yeah, you could have right. a conversation for thirty seconds and find out that you somehow are connected to each other or know some yeah. people. And when I first met you, that was the first thing that kept in my mind was these the uh, the services that I used to keep my the machines running, so my my operators would have their jobs to do. Well, and Chris, you know, safety is a huge issue for us too. We do a lot of like machine guarding and so forth for manufacturing facilities and within uh, the entirety of Fuss and O'Neill, employee health and safety uh, and uh, climate have really become issues for us um, and fun things to work on, but issues for us that we really weren't facing 20 years ago. So between that and, and uh, you know, a new type of employee in some cases with a different worldview, concerns about social justice, climate, so forth, you know, these are things I never had to really address when I was coming up through the ranks and, and now... Uh, leading a firm like Fuss and O'Neill, they're uh, front and center in terms of the issues that I'm expected to speak out about and that our company has to deal with. And businesses have completely embraced them. Safety mm -hmm. side, certainly, to to keep those employees safe because especially with a war in town and trying to yeah. trying to find people, it's so critical that uh, those folks stay safe and are able to come into their building. COVID taught us a new level of safety, obviously. And then on the environmental social governance side, ESG or social climate, as you mentioned, you know, businesses really embracing their role, not just to make products or provide services and, and provide for their employees, but the impact they have on their communities, their state, their region, the United States, the, the, the world. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's a credit to the businesses to step up and obviously you to help partner with them and provide those 
services. Do you see that as a trend that will continue for a long time? Absolutely, and I've, I've seen this firsthand as a member of the Governor's Council on Climate Change, uh, where it's largely a public sector um, board, if you will, um, but there are some private companies, ourselves included, that have been asked to serve. And um, it's clear, based on the science, as well as just on what's going on in society, that the trends you're talking about are going to be with us for a long time. I don't know if they'll, frankly, ever really leave. Right. Become part of the DNA of every of society. every business, yeah, every resident of society as a whole. It's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of a good segue. I mentioned you know we're embarking on the 209th year of CBIA, so you and I have big responsibilities. He's pulling rank on me. <laughs> we, we can't screw this up. years for CBIA, 100 years for. <laughs> I bow to 209 years. Well, 309 years combined. So <laughs> I'm right. not pulling rank. There we go. There you're, you're, you're that's my, collaboration. You're, you're my boss. I'm just I'm just reminding <laughs> the folks of the responsibility that you and I have. Uh, let's not screw this up. Um, but and as we enter this, you know, this 209th year CBIA, and th through encouragement of folks like you, the board in general, and, and the membership community, are, are getting involved in more uh, what I call social economic issues. Where I think yeah. back when I was on the board, it was all about tax climate, labor mandates, regulations, just making sure the businesses could remain as competitive as possible. But now it's it's those things still true, no doubt. But it's things like housing, childcare, environmental and energy policies. Uh, and clearly, infrastructure and transportation has been something we've been talking about for a while. And so there's this, this intersection of traditionally where social issues and economic issues are coming together, just like we talked about with That's the climate. way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're critical. And so you've been one of the, the folks pushing CBI into that arena. You've heard from third parties really saying, hey, if CBI can get engaged in here, I think it will be the group that can help move these things forward. So we talked about uh, ESG, environmental social governance, and other things being in the DNA of businesses. You're starting to see that be in the DNA of CBI as well, and you, you see that as a, as a good thing? Absolutely. Uh, at Fuss and O'Neill, we're actually uh, signatories to the UN Global Compact, which is something that, when I have a few minutes of your time, I'd like to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think this is a reflection of your leadership the folks that report to you at CBIA, I think the whole mindset towards business has changed relative to what some people might have thought about 10, 15, 20 years ago as being the green stuff or the soft stuff. And I think now we're recognizing that uh, those things are in fact critical and not just ancillary. So yeah, short answer to your question, I think uh, this is definitely a direction that business is going. It's oftentimes a struggle for us. Um, the costs associated with being greener, for example, are not insignificant, but we feel we have a social responsibility regardless. And I think as the chief representative of businesses throughout the state of Connecticut, I think CBIA is uh, helping to lead the way there. So it's very encouraging. Yeah, with support certainly from folks like you and the Environmental and Energy Policy Council that we have is right. really helping inform us, you know, because we're only as, as smart as the information our members give us. What other issues, social economic issues, do you see uh, being critical to, to continuing the growth of, of Connecticut? As I said, we're, you know, entering an exciting time for CBIA, but we're entering an exciting time for the state with, um, you know, fiscal house uh, never being stronger, the public-private collaboration that we talked about never having been stronger in my mind, and uh, 57,000 new residents coming to the state last year, 100,000 over the last couple of years, very exciting. What other issues are either personal or that you think are important that CBIA either continue to advocate for or, can, or get involved in in the coming years with your leadership as chair? 
Well, you know, Chris, I'm sure you've uh, experienced the same thing. There was a poll done, a uh, national poll done about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, I think it may have been just the tail end of COVID that suggests that the majority of American voters actually look more towards business in terms of leadership on, on social and environmental issues than they're looking towards government. And hopefully our government will respond to that and, and step up to an even greater extent than they have. But for you and I, the expectations are there regardless of what happens right. on the governmental side, you know. And so we've talked about, you know, stronger collaboration between the public and private sectors. We've talked about safety. We've talked about, you know, a number of things that I think are, are really important. Um, you know, Connecticut, looking at Connecticut from an outsider's perspective for a moment, it's a relatively small state, and yet we have some sizable employers here. And so it seems to me we're always looking to do things or should be looking to do things that attract not just more companies, but more people, more potential employees to the state. And so things like uh, quality of housing, um, workforce development in general, uh, making sure that there's a connection between what our companies need from a labor perspective, that's kind of the demand side, right? And then the fact that we can help and are helping uh, on the supply side by making sure that a lot of people, including some of those young folks that were at the annual meeting last week, know that there's a future for them because there are opportunities for them to receive the right kind of training and because the demand is there on the part of the private sector, they can have productive careers here. And I think that's a message that, that needs to go beyond just the borders of Connecticut. Um, I know Advanced CT has been very successful and I hope they are even more successful in the future in terms of really showing people what a, what a gem Connecticut is, both in terms of a place to live, and as you pointed out recently, it's becoming a much stronger state, a much better state uh, to do business in as well because the fiscal guardrails are in place, things I think are very important to maintain um, because of the leadership of our governor and his staff and because of leadership from the private sector. So we are in, this is a the, kind of like the threshold of opportunity, time-wise, and we need to walk through that door by making sure that we stay on top of a lot of these issues, represent the interests and concerns of our constituent businesses, but also work closely with the public sector to make sure we're getting the right kinds of things done for our citizens. Yeah, that's a great way to say it, the, th the threshold of opportunity. You know, I've, I've talked often about continuing the tailwinds, navigate the headwinds, uh, but when you visualize it that way, that you know we're right there on that precipice of opportunity, not just for the state, not for the bit, just for the business community, but as, as we talk about with our mission, our, which is to grow the economy for the benefit of all residents, to provide opportunities for all residents, and that opportunity, that threshold of opportunity that we're on is is for all residents here in Connecticut. Yeah. And, and to your point, we got to kick that door open and make sure we go over that threshold and until we get to the next threshold and keep moving forward and. We have a uh, you know, tremendous opportunity, as I mentioned, with the economic numbers uh, that we've recently seen in Connecticut. And, um, and that's why I think this optimism that we're feeling in the business community, as you mentioned, the annual meeting, that energy and optimism in the room. It was record attendance, wasn't it? Re record attendance, yeah, which is amazing. You know, the, the highest attendance before that was CBI's 200th anniversary in 2015. And so that was a real moment to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, here we were just the 209th uh, <laughs> uh, you know, celebration, or 208th to go to 209th. Uh, but it's just, just there's that energy. And we all still have a little bit of the, the burns from the stove uh, of years past when, sure. okay, how long will this opportunity last? But to describe it as that threshold of opportunity, uh, we want to step over it and make sure it doesn't move away from us. And 
And so that's why it's, it's critical that we continue to stay engaged on these issues. And I, I, think, I think we're going to step over that threshold. I mean, your opinion on that? You feel Absolutely. strongly about it? You know, and I think, I think the Rainy Day Fund, you know, is one of our chief methods of dealing with circumstances when they're not as rosy as they are for us right now. And I think, again, the state government working with private business and municipalities throughout the state have done a great job of strengthening our economy and making sure that, you know, we're not just spending in a responsible way, but we're not spending in a responsible way, you know, and holding some back, if you will, for, for the fact that we know, you know, the goose isn't going to be laying the golden eggs forever, right? right. Economies do fluctuate and so forth. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, optimistic about the future of the state. Uh, we're positioned very well geographically between two you know, very large urban areas, New York and Boston. If you want that, you can have that, but you can still live you know, a wonderful life uh, here in Connecticut without necessarily having to deal with all of the challenges that larger urban areas face, too. So with that and strong business leadership, people like yourself and CBIA, strong leadership from the government level, um, I think we have all the elements in place to really uh, accelerate the growth and prosperity of the state, and I'm looking forward to doing whatever I can to help. Yeah, the key will be um, we'll certainly get some bad news along the way. Yeah, it will be some some numbers, so some headwinds, right. yep. oh, yeah. and not yeah. to have a knee jerk and say, okay, we're back to the right. old yep. ways of Connecticut. Yep. There's going to be a budget deficit and a tax hike, and making sure that doesn't happen. The fiscal guardrails are are key to that. To that point, you know, I announced at the annual meeting. You've been privy to it for. A few months now that CBIA started a foundation that's going to focus on a long-term economic strategic plan. So we certainly are, as you know, always hyper-focused on the next session and maybe two sessions out with the mm -hmm. election cycles. But the state's really been lacking a, a longer-term plan. Where are we going to be in 2030 to think uh, that's not that far away or 2035 as a state? Is, do you think that, that type of plan is important to you as a, as a business leader? Do you think it's important to the business community? And, and what else does that mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, as well or better than I do, the markets respond to predictability, right? And the same is true of the Connecticut market, which is obviously a, not a homogeneous thing. It's a complicated thing. But I think to the extent that those who are thinking about or will be thinking about coming and working here in Connecticut, having a plan in place and having some track record of having adhered to a fiscally responsible plan, it makes it much a much more attractive place to work. And obviously, if you feel good about your job and, and the likelihood of security and advancement and so forth, as long with things like housing and child care, you know, you're going to be more uh, liable to stay here, not just come here, but to stay here. And so the net growth that you experience over time can be very robust. But I think the foundation is a wonderful opportunity to galvanize the public and private sectors, because I know from talking to folks I have in the governor's office, they're excited about the opportunity to work on this. I know we're excited to work on this, and I think by putting the best heads together and agreeing to disagree on occasion, but still moving ahead for the best interests of uh, the citizens of Connecticut, I think this is a really wonderful opportunity to kind of, we're talking about walking through the threshold. The foundation could be one of the most important um, means of crossing that threshold. Yeah, that's, after you said that, that was my visualization of it as well, yeah. as well that foundation to get us maybe to the next threshold, um, and then another long-term plan after that one. But yeah. it was interesting. I, I received some feedback after the annual meeting, and, and one person called uh, the, the eventual you know, blueprint, if you will, the long-term economic strategic plan, 
that North Star that, that Connecticut has been missing, both as the public sector, the private sector, and the residents of Connecticut, and that will, that North Star that will get us to that next over the threshold and to the yeah. to the next one. So I'll start using your your terminology. You're, <laughs> you're, you're much more, more uh, you're much better at uh, summarizing. And well, to be a CEO, Chris, you know you have to have a lot of analogies. <laughs> you have to be full of analogies. You have to have a vision. You have to have a vision, yeah, and obviously be able to communicate that vision so people can see it and Absolutely. and run through the uh, and run through the wall for it. So and if you don't mind me, yeah. just quickly going back to a point you just made, because I think it's very important. I, I do feel that there has been. Because of the history of the state financially, there's probably a tendency, as you were saying, gee, if we if we hit a bump in the road, you know, to kind of go back to, well, this is where we were 20 years ago or whatever. When I first came to Fuss and O'Neill, uh, again, it was a relatively old company and had a tendency to be looking in the rearview mirror a lot. And one of my greatest challenges was to get people to understand that you can you can honor the past without living in it. And what we need to do is we need to be looking through the windshield, you know, and not the rearview mirror because that's where the opportunities lie are ahead of us. So uh, hopefully that's something that through the process of the foundation and the, and the plan or plans that are gonna arise from that, continued interaction between public and private sector leaders, um, those are the kinds of things that uh, will keep us from spending too much time looking in that rearview mirror because that, that is not a productive thing for us to do. We're making such good progress right now, we need to keep looking forward. That's great, great words of advice. Yeah, honor, honor that past. Don't necessarily repeat it. Right. Learn from it, and then set your new course forth. And uh, whether that's the north star of the economic strategic plan or working daily on a public-private collaboration, yeah. great, great words of advice. What other? And and you're as we wrap up here. You know, you you've had a great career. You've seen a lot of different things. What uh? What are some key learnings that you you think about on a regular basis, or that you? talk to other business leaders about, or, or maybe some young students from Ready yeah. CT for career pathways that were at the annual meeting uh, yeah. that, that you professed on them from wisdom? Well, uh, my mantra is uh, you always, always have to put the right people in the right places. And that cannot be a decision that you make emotionally. It has to be a decision that you make for the betterment of your company. Um, not necessarily to honor friendships as important as those are, or things that people have done for you in the past as important as, as it is to reciprocate when you're making decisions about your organization, public or private, I believe. Um, and I've worked in the, in the public sector long enough to know this is true over there too. Um, you have to put the right people in the right places. And um, I think by having, that means look what the governor's done. The quality of people that he's put in charge of his various departments has been unlike anything that I've seen anywhere I've lived in the country, top-notch top people. And similarly, you know, you're doing the same thing with people here at CBIA. I'm trying to do this very same thing within my company, and I'm sure virtually all, if not all, of our private business leaders throughout the state are, are doing the same thing. So the key is, you know, how do you become one of those right people? And I think a lot of that has to do with listening. You know, it's surrounding yourself with good people who you know are looking forward, not looking in the rearview mirror, people that have a positive uh, outlook, have some... Um, ideas to bring to the table, including maybe some new and, because they're new, maybe somewhat risky ideas. Uh, but it's about collaboration. It's about listening. It's not about talking so much. You know, it's if there's one thing I've learned to do much better than I used to, uh, it's probably that I've seen my listening skills improve a lot, and I have a lot of a lot of employees over the years to thank for teaching me that lesson and. Um, it's one of the primary things I try to pass on to younger employees when they ask, you know, how do you get to be a 
COO or a CEO, it's uh, just make sure that you have your hearing aids, you know, well tuned. <laughs> well, it's an important characteristic to have as a chair of a fairly large board as well with uh, diverse opinions, diverse people, yeah. um, and be able to bring them all together and, and really um, embrace that diversity and integrate that diversity. Uh, and I think you're just going to be a fantastic chair. I look forward to working with you over the next 12 months and, and seeing where we, CBIA, go, where you go as a chair, where the board goes, where Connecticut goes. There's a lot of great things happening. Well, Chris, you're one of those people that we should all be listening to. I know the governor's office listens to you. I listen to you. Our board listens to you. And as I said before, I just want to do whatever I can to help continue to promote and strengthen what CBIA stands for and uh, also work with our um, public sector colleagues to get as much done for our constituents and our companies as we possibly can. The future is bright. Look, look forward to stepping over the threshold with you. Of opportunity. I, I look forward to the same thing. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen, like, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review and let us know if you have any ideas for a future podcast. And for more episodes, head over to CBIA.com.